Welcome, after a bit of time away, to Getting to Nimble. I'm Bill Smoots, a pastor. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician. In this show, we explore how to survive and thrive in the 21st century church. And we are glad to be back. We've been on pandemic leave slash maternity leave for about the last six months. I say six months because my son is six months old, so I guess that's about how long it's been. But we are glad to be back for this episode to check in and see how we're doing. And I, sh- yeah, I should say you're the maternity leave. I'm, I'm just the pandemic leave because yeah, we're uh, both dealing with the pandemic for sure. That's that's true. That's true. Today we're going to talk about vaccines and variations. Mm-hmm. Um, how how the all the different vaccines that are available and how quickly people are getting them in their arms right now is is causing churches to to have to think quickly and and on their feet, but how the variations are also kind of out there as a, well, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so how, how do we plan in between those two things? Lots of vaccines, but lots of variations. Absolutely. A little bit about Bill and I, I have been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum, mainline evangelical Catholic. Currently, I work in a United Church of Christ congregation. And I have primarily pastored Presbyterian congregations, uh, urban, rural, large, small, um, suburban. Um, for in recent years, I've been an interim pastor exclusively, uh, five year, plus years in the United Church of Christ, and have just come back into a Presbyterian interim. They in got the last, you back into the fold. It, well, it, it's interesting to 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 be back in the mother denomination, um, uh, I there are things I love about my Presbyterian heritage, um, and things that drive me crazy, and and there are things I've really enjoyed about serving in the UCC, as well as things there that drive me crazy too. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, so there's no perfect, right? No, there there is not. There there are differences, and and so it's it's nice to be back. Um, and, and exploring some of my Presbyterian heritage with new eyes, with, mm-hmm. with oh, that, that wider UCC experience that, that both helps me appreciate my Presbyterianism, but also says these are places where Presbyterianism really needs to be pushed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, so, cool, cool. So yeah. vaccines and variations. Uh, I um, tell my, my, my four-year-old, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be like the last person vaccinated or he'll hear me saying that to someone, I'm, I'm going to be the last person vaccinated. And he's like, oh, mom, why are you going to be the very last? <laughs> and I, you know, explain it's a figure of speech. And I just mean, I'm in my thirties and I, I don't have comorbidities and I'm just going to be in the last tier, buddy. I'm not an essential worker. Um, but many, many people in our churches have been vaccinated. That's right. Uh, a, lot, a lot of folks over 65, a lot of healthcare workers, essential workers. Yay. Yes, yes. A lot of teachers that are going to start getting vaccinated soon if they aren't already. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's wonderful um, and good news. And I'm so excited, but it's also beginning to put pressure on church leaders and church staffs to say, so what are you going to do when we can open up? Mm-hmm. We've been yep. doing this for a year now and we are stir crazy and chomping at the bit and and ready to be out. Not that we don't want to keep people safe. We're just ready for something different. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And we're so we're done with this. Yeah. We were so done, done six months ago. That's right. 
I, I uh, led an annual meeting, uh, moderated an annual meeting of the congregation where I'm serving uh, just this past Sunday. And one of the questions from, from one of the older members was, so when are we opening back up? And, and, and I think this individual spoke a question that was on the minds and hearts of many people. And, and um, I, I was trying to say, you know, we're looking at ways that we can do this creatively, but we're also so close to having a larger level of safety for everyone. And we don't want to damage that possibility with our impatience. Um, and he said, yes, but when are we opening up? <laughs> and, and, and I get... I get where that desire comes from, um, and and I think because of the speed, you know, I was I was shocked a couple of days ago when uh, the president said, "Okay, every adult who wants them can have a vaccine. We'll we'll be able to have a vaccine by the end of May." Okay, suddenly my timeline is mm -hmm. needing to, yeah. to change a little oh, bit. Oh, I am so excited! It's exciting, but it also means. Huh. We we thought we might get away with our current approach a little bit longer until there was a larger degree of safety, and suddenly that timeline's getting short. Yeah. And and so so how do we respond to that creatively? And I think that's one of the challenges for a lot of church leaders right now. Um, how are we creative and nimble in the middle of this fairly quick march to vaccination after? A year of of everybody sitting around waiting, um, and 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 I get that, and people want to open up, but then I keep hearing the medical experts saying, "Yeah, but there's all these variations floating around out there, and we don't know what they mean, and and we can't move too fast, or we could be back where we've been, or even worse." And and, and so, as as a church leader, I feel caught in that bind right now um and 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 feel like a part of my job is is managing congregational expectations and staff expectations and my own expectations mm -hmm. um yeah. how 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 to how do all these work together in a way that is faithful that is healthy and let us not forget our title in a way that is nimble mm. um those the, that's where i'm pondering a lot these days. You know, I'm really feeling that ongoing pull to be nimble because, um, you know, I'm a capital P planner and <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing for music in May. I don't even know what I'm doing for Easter. Well, that's got to be <laughs> killing you, Sarah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, except not really. Like I've really <laughs> had to months ago just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I can do. And frankly, have a, have a very clear sight on the fact that my self-worth is not tied to like that quality, that excellence in, in the way that I would um, probably mistakenly have felt in the past. Like, I don't have that same sense of like, if it isn't perfect, that's on me and I didn't do a good enough job. I've really grown in realizing what I think was true before, which is that you do your best and then what happens happens. And I feel that this pandemic has really helped me see that, yeah, I, I do my best and I, I do what I can, but I, you know, I don't know exactly how things are going to go on Easter. I don't, I don't, I don't know who's going to, who's going to get the vaccine and then not feel good and then not be able to show up. And I can't control all of those. I can't control any of this really. And I can be nimble. I can show up and do my best and give myself some options 
and it's going to happen how it happens. And me, my self-worth, my, um, my, uh, my personhood is, is not, is not really part of that. This, my, my self-worth isn't open to, open to change because of how things go down on Easter Sunday or what, what have you. And, and that's, that's new learning in the past year or, or new I, I realization. So. I, th I think more like a, like a kind of deepening into that, mm. that, uh, that, that sense of like, uh, you do your best. And in this case, I, I really do mean like in that sense of being nimble, you, you plan for what you can plan for, but at the end of the day, like who knows how it's going to really go. And, and so how it really goes, isn't necessarily, um, isn't as connected with who you are in the sense of like, um, like you being a hard, hard worker or a good musician or a good preacher or what, whatever, whatever those thing is that feels like really tied to who you are as a person, like, oh, it's important for me to be this kind of way. Doesn't necessarily, doesn't always, always translate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question to kind of to push along this. And, and as set up for this question, I, I should say, um, if, if you haven't listened to us before, Sarah and I were colleagues uh, a couple of years ago in one mm, of my yeah. interim journeys. And, and so I know a bit about uh, the folks that she works with and, and the choir she leads. And, and I'm wondering if what has really been important to the folks in the choir um, is is not so much the the music they've been able to do or not do, but the relationships oh, that they've been able to keep together and your role in helping them stay connected. Is that oh make sense? Yes, yes. I I have always seen my role in leading the choir as a pastoral role in the sense of I am shepherding a group of people within the congregation, and like our job is to make music, but ultimately like the spiritual purpose here is. In caring for this group of people. And that to me means um, making room for relationships and deepening relationships there. And yes, music is a big part of that. Being, being, making music together is a way of being in community. That, that is a practice of community, right? But that's not the only practice. And in this past year, we have um, really strengthened our relationships as a choir. And I really think our, our call on Sunday morning, we have a Zoom call every morning, we just chat and that has been such a touchstone of of joy and of health through all of this. We've we've um, carried each other emotionally through this. And that that said, though, like we are really ready to be singing in person. Oh, and I know so, you are because you work with such great musicians. Mm -hmm. um, and it's but, such but a I, joy to sing together with people. Yes, yes, and and that group really does take joy in mm -hmm. their singing together. I, I one of the discoveries that I made over the course of this. Uh, the the church I was serving as an interim last summer, where we were able to do some outdoor worship because they had great outdoor facilities. Yeah. Um, and we were doing kind of a modified morning prayer, maybe 20, 25 minutes. It wasn't very long, mm -hmm. but, but what it offered was for people that really needed to get together. It offered them the opportunity to um, stand around afterwards at a distance mm -hmm. wearing their masks and talk to each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I think I could have juggled and turned summer. Well, I can't turn somersaults. It wouldn't have been pretty, but, but I, I think what, whatever the worship was, wasn't as significant as that time of connection of, of, of community of, of people um, being able to just 
enjoy the fact that they're disciples together um, and there's friendship in that discipleship and, and deep love in that discipleship and that they were missing that as much as anything. This is making me think of the services that you and I, Bill, have built with our with our colleagues where I currently work, um, where we would invite people to talk with each other about wow. questions within yeah. the service and how yeah. spiritually rich that can be, making that room for conversation in a specific way. It's not that we want a cocktail party. <laughs> you know, I, well, I don't ever need to go to a party like that. I do not like walking around being like, so who do I talk to next? This makes me feel awkward. Um, no, but that kind of guided, you're, you're going to chat with somebody about a specific thing. Yes. Man, how great that is. Well, I remember the Sunday we invited them to write haikus and then share them with each other and, oh, and how cool. into that they got with one another. Um, so, so yes, I, 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 that is such a huge part of our congregational life. And, and while we, I think we've known that, I mean, certainly I've known that over the years of ministry. Um, I, I know that in an, an, in a new way or in a deeper way, um, in, in a, in a more, this isn't just socializing. This is really an aspect of the faith journey. Mm -hmm. um, that, that togetherness and, and, and that reminder that, you know, God really does speak to us as a people, um, more so than just individuals. Um, and, and that we, when we forget that we're in trouble, mm -hmm. um, of, of the churches I've served in recent years as an interim where there's been conflict, the, the thing that has been consistent across the different congregations is they've kind of forgotten their relationships with each other. They, they, they knew each other pretty well, but they've let those relationships slip and that creates space for conflict to come mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. and, and so this, this, this past year has been a reminder in ways of the, the need for those inter-congregational relationships to be vital um, and life-giving if a congregation's ever going to stretch beyond its walls, um, if a congregation's ever going to challenge itself uh, in its discipleship. So I'm thinking about, we're thinking forward, and of course, we aren't the medical experts. We're not, you know, who knows how the vaccine rollout will actually go, all those kinds of things. But we know that very soon we're going to be, quote unquote, back to normal in the sense of we can be in person, we can we can do the things, we can sing, we can whatever, right? I mean, I say we know. I'm an optimist. It sounds like we, we know that we know. Um, but what you're saying about community is making me think, well, well, what is what could that look like? What can that be? And I'm thinking about like the stray articles that are like, so-and-so person wants to be a member at the church in a different state because they've been worshiping with them online for the last six months. Can, can you do that? What does that mean for a church to be capital M member when you have never met people in person? Or what does that mean? Um, what does that mean if we're deciding about having in-person services and then live streaming them or having a, a separate service that is wholly online? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like a completely yes. different service that is of its own self online. What does that mean in terms of community and fostering that huge part of congregational life? Right. I, and, and I think those are right on questions. And, and part of the job of church leaders going forward um, is going to be to keep 
asking and keep pushing these questions, keep them up in front of the congregation, because I think our natural tendency will be to snap back to, to what is familiar and what is known. And, and but, but yet I think we all know deep down within that, that we can never be the same again. Mm -hmm. um, we, we can't as individuals or as congregations or as a culture go through something like we've gone through and just assume we can go back and, and it be like it was. Um, one of the questions we've been dealing with in, in the, my, my present congregation, uh, we had a worship meeting earlier this week and, and we were saying, you know, how do we acknowledge when we come back in that there'll be lots of empty places in the sanctuary, not, not necessarily from people who've died of COVID, though there are a few instances of that, but mostly it's people who uh, have died during the pandemic that, you know, had occupied that particular pew for the last yeah. 30 or 40 or 50 years. What's it mean to, to suddenly not have them in the space uh, any longer? And, and not and, have had had huge funerals for them either. Correct, almost nothing. And and so, how do we acknowledge their their the fact that they're no longer there and and pivot towards what's going to be next? It can't be the same because so many folks are gone. So many things have changed in our larger culture. And so, how do we as church leaders keep folks focused on? Oh, it's so good to be back. But yes, how do we how do we keep thinking forward? How do we keep thinking in into this to to what God's future is going to be for us? And and I think you're right on track with the membership question. We've talked about that before and in previous podcasts, but I think that's going to be front and center, particularly for Presbyterian and UCC congregations like we serve, where so much of how the church works is based on people being members mm -hmm. and like and who's, being, allowed, who's allowed to make decisions about stuff. Correct. And, and that membership is really physical in person, present membership, mm -hmm. not, not um, somebody who's a member from California or, or uh, somewhere in Northern Italy or, 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 you know, Hong mm -hmm. Kong or, or wherever yeah. um, like the world allows today. Um, so I, I think those are, spot-on questions? You know, I think that one of the ways forward is in some ways going to involve looking backward. And I mean that in the sense of we've gone through and are still in the midst of something that is very traumatic. And if we just jump into the, yay, we're back together, this is amazing, and then ignore what we've gone through, um, I, I mean, I think we're setting us up for collectively um, this, this huge box that we, that we won't have dealt with. And that is going to haunt our lives, the congregational life going forward. Cause we've, we've gone through and are going through a really, really difficult time. And if, if healing is to come of this, I mean, where else is that going to happen? If, if not in the church, like speaking congregationally, like where, where would you be in a group with where you can talk about what has gone, what has happened and, and where would you be able to heal from that? unless you're doing like individual therapy, like, yeah. shouldn't well, that be the church? You know, most, most, most church professionals will have at least a passing uh, understanding of family systems theory. And, and we know that when we ignore stuff in, in our family systems, um, it's going to come back and 
uh, bite us or it's going to stay with us and need to be addressed. And so if mm-hmm. we go back as, as a church uh, from a systemic point of view and, and don't pay attention to what we've been through, mm-hmm. um, don't pay attention to the, the sense of loss and, and, and mourning, um, don't pay attention to the, the new kind of glimmers of light that have come through this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't pay attention to those things going forward, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't have specific things. One thing that I'm thinking of though, is, well, what role does music play in this? Um, you know, stay tuned. I'm hopefully going to be talking to some music therapists. Like people literally do this for a living healing through music. It's like, okay, well, what, what can that mean for us in the church to help facilitate healing? Um, and, and so for thinking about like the literal pieces of, you know, what types of services are we going to have? What, what, what is our worship going to be like? What is our community? I think that we can't, um, we can't imagine a good future, a better future without, you know, without our histories being part of that. And, and let's push your question a little farther. What role do buildings play in all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, because we've, we've learned that we can still be the church without physically being in our building. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Does, does that change anything? Um, cause, cause buildings often, um, almost become more the center of worship than, than the God we, we seek to encounter, uh, in that sacred space. Um, and, and, uh, so, so what's it mean going forward? I don't have a clue. But um, we but- are exploring. <laughs> I, I think sure. that would be a great separate episode. I've got some ideas about that. We'll, cool. we'll, we'll, we'll talk after yes, yes. Uh, we're done recording. And, uh, but, but I think these are, these are right on questions and questions that, that again, we're going to have to help the congregation, help congregations focus on as church leaders, mm-hmm. um, because, um, I, I think it'll be easy to lose these things. Um, and, and, and I, the other thing I hope we'll do is, is maybe leave some kind of record of the, the conversations we're having and, and of the, the things that the learnings that have been realized, whether that's personally or corporately, because I'm sure the churches in 1918, 1919, 1920 went through all this with, with the, the flu pandemic of that time frame. And, and, but, but if, if there were records, if things were written down, they've been lost or, or we couldn't find them to pay attention to. And, and, and I can guarantee that the church will be dealing with this again in the future. How can, yeah. how can we help going forward by the the records we leave or the, the, the conversations we have in some format that people can access. This is reminding me of a friend who uh, works at a, a local uh, St. Louis congregation. And she went through the archives and found out that in the flu pandemic, um, that that church closed for eight weeks. And you know, we're like one week into the pandemic. And she's like, so no, so it might even be eight weeks that we're closed. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all like, whoa, we can't even imagine. Eight yeah. weeks, what? Yeah. Well, the world was a little smaller in, in, uh, that, that pandemic. And, and, oh. uh, you know, maybe we know, maybe, maybe our not our broader knowledge isn't always so good for us. Uh, maybe it is. Uh, so is it time for our reads of the week? I, I think it could you be our time something. for the reads for the week. I do have something shocking. Um, 
I, I picked up a little devotional booklet for Lent because uh, it's written by one of my favorite professors, uh, Walter Brueggemann, A Way Other Than Our Own. And, and Walt, in his typical uh, pithy way, um, just kind of challenges everything you've ever thought uh, about life and faith and church and discipleship. And, and I appreciate that. Um, and yet it's also, I've always found Walt's challenges to be deeply pastoral. Um, he, he writes as someone who loves the church deeply, uh, who is rooted deeply in congregational life and, and wants uh, people who, who are trying to follow Jesus to have that similar rootage. And so while there's lots of things he will challenge, it's all for how are we better people of faith? How are we better members of a community of faith? And, and I always appreciate that. And and it's a nice, it's it's nice in this season of journey, this this unique London season of journey in my life, uh, to have that uh, both push and and reminder of of the fact that I do love the church too, and and I need to keep. It's nice to be focus. reminded of that, right? It, you know, sadly, I found over the years that I need that reminder. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing this because I love. God's people and God's church. And, and some days that, that needs a, a little friendly reminder. You know, I uh, taught a class of undergraduates the other day who are considering uh, church musicianship as a profession. And, um, and I was telling, telling them, you know, one of the reasons I do this is because I love people. And, and then I said, but remember, church people are just per people. They are no better and no worse than people. So don't go into this expecting great people because they're just people. And, and and then as they were leaving, you said, "Run, don't walk." No. <laughs> okay, so I have I have a book. Um, yeah. My most recent one that I read is called "The Whole Brain Child." The Whole Brain Child. It's by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson, and this is actually a reread for me. I hardly ever reread books because who has time for this? Yeah. Um, but I read it uh, probably when my older son was an infant, and I was like, "Okay, time to refresh." Uh, this really great research-driven uh, guide to parenting small people um, and learn how their brains work and how brains grow throughout uh, their lives and what I can do as a parent to help my children um, develop empathy and kindness and confidence um, through an understanding of, of their biology. So yay, the whole brain nice. child. And, and I think those things, empathy and kindness, are, are what most of us as parents hope for for our children so sounds like so. an important read it is it's good stuff my children probably would have appreciated my having known about that book before ah. i'll praise them <laughs> well, you're, luckily you're their mother's a good kind better. empathetic person so <laughs> oh good that's it for this week's installment of getting to nimble look for new episodes sometime uh when 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 life and pandemic uh makes things possible uh, you can find show notes at sarahmariza.com. Is there a dash in that, yeah, Sarah? Yeah, there's a dash. Okay, so Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, dash, Mariza, B-E-R-E-Z-A, dot com. And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry buddies and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We would really appreciate it. Yes, we would. I am Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Mariza. Until next time, keep it nimble and keep it legal. Amen.